I'm looking down on it and probably trying to segregate disability sport and say it's to a certain or lesser degree uh, lower than Olympic sport. But it, I think I had that ideology that I was able to compete with my able-bodied peers. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. He is a fitness coach, he is a nutrition coach, and he is a Paralympian. Ladies and gentlemen, from across the pond, this is Mr. James Roberts. James is his name, and this is his revelation. Thanks for having me on, Cole. Oh, so, so... I guess, I guess what we just heard, we just I, heard we I are dealing with someone, dealing who, with is, someone who is, well, as we say, across the, pond. across the pond. So you are from UK, from correct? UK, correct. That's correct, Carl. Uh, but uh, I don't think you were born there, right? Right. No, I was actually born in Belgium as both my parents were in the military. Obviously, my mother worked for NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And my father was in the USIF Force. Okay. Nice. Nice. All right. So you have American roots. Nice. All right. All right. Uh, does, uh, does your mother still live in America? No, no. I, I, I back at, my mom's back in the, I moved back to the UK when it would have been about 2005 for university. Mm-hmm. And my mother followed three years later when she retired. And obviously we live back in, this, in the same place in North Wales now. After I retired from sports, I've kind of come back to probably, I term it as home now. In the early days, it wasn't, but it's where my, obviously my mother's side of the family are uh, not born and raised, but it's where you could probably put our roots. Yeah, that makes sense. I totally understand that. Okay. All right. So how was it growing up in Great Britain? Well, I actually, I did, I grew up in, in Belgium and oh, was okay. out there for about 19 years. Okay. But to answer your question, what was it like growing up? Um, when it being a military installation, it's a weird one because it, it being very much multicultural, multiracial. I think you get a, you probably got an open mind and we touched upon this off air. I, I, I think I'm very much critical thinker. I think maybe that would have, um, within the early start of it because you are very immersed in even different languages be it i would come home after school and speak it's like a few words of italian because uh what would it be like somebody helping you across the street was uh italian serviceman so it's like you pick it you pick it yeah i think at that age you're a sponge so you pick up everything i i think i'd like to say i probably could probably speak like engage with somebody like say hello and probably a multitude of languages to this day Hmm. Yeah, I was going to actually ask. This is one thing I do know about schools in Europe is that they actually teach you many different languages. So I was going to ask, how many languages were you taught and how many did you retain? Well, I did my schooling from, let's say, from kindergarten till the early part of probably middle school in the Belgian section. So I was doing, obviously, all my 
subjects by English in French and obviously spoken speaking English at home. Uh, and then I crossed over to the US uh, form of education in high school and did uh, two years of French. And then in my junior and senior year, I did an extra two years of Spanish. So uh, to answer that question, Cole, the language I can speak, obviously English, uh, written and spoken French, I can still... It was actually to my surprise because I went back to Belgium not too long ago, about the end of June, and I thought it would be probably poor to be able to, like, to, be able to have a discourse and a conversation with somebody, but it was actually not too bad. And I haven't spoken French in a conversation for probably about a decade, so I was quite surprised, but it's not surprising. That is probably, I've retained probably that level of discourse to some extent. It's probably not to the level that I would have liked, but that's only going to, if you don't use something, it's a term, It's gonna you're going to lose it. So it's kind of, um, to kind of come back to my point, it's very much, it was very much probably at my, in my subconscious. It was, it's always there. I'm never going to lose it because I've had it as a sponge probably from oh God, about three or four years old. And I, and I was around the language until I left Belgium at 19. So it's always going to be there. Spanish, on the other hand, I can still understand it, but I wouldn't like to speak it too much because, you know, if you get in that kind of situation sometimes where you speak too much, they think you obviously know the language. Uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, as, a, as, as if it was your first language. So that one is, is, is quite awkward. It's like, yeah, I'll give a little bit away, but not too much that I kind of get confused or I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> American schools, American it's really interesting really how they interesting. regard foreign languages. It's, it's, it, it's understood it, you it's have understood to you know have English, to know English, but, but it, it seems like it seems foreign like languages foreign or language language languages that are not American are, not American are seemingly afterthoughts. Whereas for some reason, I get the feeling with European schools, when you actually speak you actually other languages, speak languages, they aren't, they aren't, they aren't afterthoughts. It, it almost it seems as if, all right, right, if you're going to be a European, you got to learn, gotta learn Spanish, you got to learn Italian, you got to learn French, you got to learn German, and even English. And, even English. and, and I, I find I those find two dynamics, those two dynamics interesting. interesting. And, and in hearing that you, hearing that you were taught in Europe, taught but in Europe, but in the American system, American though, system though, I did not know, because I'm being educated myself, I did not know that existed. Oh, with that in mind, it's the the, the American system I'm talking about is because because it was a uh, a NATO installation. It's uh, it's the schooling part of the Department of Defense, so it will be oh, where is it based? You've got the likes of wherever the US is stationed. So be it if it's in Asia, uh, I think there's even school stateside a little bit if the if the the schooling made me not be up to par, and I can't think offhand, be it uh, you've got them in the South Pacific with Guam and things like that. So it's very much, I think it's given that chance for the dependence of obviously the military uh, spouses or whatever, a chance to be in that educational system and obviously able to progress to if they want to go on to college and whatnot. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is powerful. And then speaking of school, you actually went on to university and you said that you went from being uh, being in Belgium in front of years 
years. going to school in the UK. So what made you decide on the college you decided to get your education? That's a, that's a good question, Nico, because originally, obviously, as you would know, in the US system, we, you very much, uh, I think even as part of coursework, you've got to look at where you're going to go to school, what you're going to study. And I, I obviously looked at, I was going to go to the US. Um, and this is an argument I had with my father in terms of I wanted to go because he now resides in Washington State. I wanted to go to the University of Washington State. But he said, in no certain terms, you're going to go to the University of Washington. That's based in Seattle. And I can see why he did it, because the the the, the state university is in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, whereas the, the main university is in a massive metropolitan uh, city. So you, right. the resources at hand is going to be a little bit easier to come by. But to why I came to the, back to the UK, mm-hmm. um was probably to do with my at the time what would have been two two three years within our national program at development level and I want I saw a future within sport so it was kind of a, a natural kind of way of looking at things well obviously if I want to excel in that it makes sense to come well, quote unquote home and kind of come to back to a British institution okay yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what was that institution, was that, institution? That, you, that you decided uh, to go to? Oh, it's changed its name so many times down there. <laughs> when I went there, originally it was called the University of Wales, uh, Swansea. By the time I graduated from it, it was called the uh, Swansea University. So, but it was because originally I'd gone to do a fine, a foundation degree. Sorry. Uh, which would probably equate to, it's probably, it's difficult to kind of compare and contrast uh, probably tertiary education between Europe and say the US, but it's, you could say on par with your undergraduate level, but that's probably maybe being a bit harsh, but it's that level between high school and say for us and uh, do uh, an undergraduate. So it's that very much in between. And that came about, because, and I term it loosely as I was probably given an avenue uh, and a backdoor into university level because our academic kind of enrollment person within the department was also the strength and conditioning coach for the um, performance program that was based in Swansea. So obviously I want to go to that program the coach want the swimming coach wants me to get me there, so they're going to kind of work together to give me that opportunity. Uh, I was able to, I was given an interview to go to the university. Um, I think on reflection, looking back on it to this day, I, I probably didn't do my best. And I won't say preparation, but I didn't come across very well. Like I'm talking to you now, it's probably I could probably put it down to maybe nerves. I don't, I don't know the person that well. And probably didn't do as well as I could have. Okay. That has probably come down to experience. And as you talk to people and more and more people, it becomes second nature, but they did offer me a place obviously on that foundation degree, as I talked about. So I took that because I wanted to go there for the sport. Hmm. Okay. And that's understandable. understandable. Uh, Many, many, many athletes. Normally pick schools here in the States, simply like what you just said, which, uh, which school is going to further prepare me athletically 
uh, whether uh, you know, whether, and if, you know, if, you were if you were in basketball, in basketball they would go to certain schools. To certain if schools. it was football, they would football, go to certain schools. To certain schools too. So yeah, that oh, that, yeah, type, that, of mindset, that type of mindset makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So, so however, I would no, go, 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 go. bar the button. I would disagree with that that kind of analogy. That because you guys have a scholarship system put in place, whereas right. we right. we do have sort of that but it's nowhere on par we well i won't generalize and say i looked at it more yes i'm going to see where i can excel uh um not academically from a sport uh, athletically sorry uh however i did also look at well what what can the institution give to me academically as well so it would be yes uh, i went there for swimming so i would have looked at the likes of big institutions that are you know, like factories in producing athletes, but they also did have the pedigree academically. They could obviously punch, not punch above their weight, but you know, in terms of, I would, I'm coming, I'm coming out with a degree from a reputable university as well. Hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally yeah, get what I, I you're totally saying. Get, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, well, hey, that's what I get for trying to generalize. <laughs> So I am not talking to your normal or quote unquote normal athlete. So how did you become a paraplegic? Well, I had my disability all my life. So I, I, I think talking to guests I've spoken to today, I think we are more because I've had the disability all my life. I obviously know no different. Whereas with somebody who become amputated, they are more. You could see they've had to come overcome more hurdles so yes i did have that inkling of well this is something i discussed later on like in life with my mom in terms of she was told by the radiographer when i was younger because of the amount of bones i didn't have in my leg and theoretically i shouldn't be able to walk but i wasn't told that obviously when i was growing up and as you do when you when you're young you 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 just kind of go with the flow and kind of go from there so okay i i was if we kind of go back to the early childhood, I was, what would be the word, uh, falling over when I was crawling, but because that the bones aren't, the, well, the bones aren't there. So I'm going to be obviously rocking and rolling. But once, once I was able to adapt to that situation and I don't, I have no recollection of this at all. Uh, and this is probably a little bit of hearsay. Uh, my mom said to me, uh, I was almost inca- uh, un- uncatchable for, for, by the adults. I'm thinking, well, I think that's a bit uh, over the top because you're thinking, well, an adult should be able to catch a baby. And then as I progressed later on in life, uh, I was using an, uh, a walker probably in, in my toddler years and then kind of went from there. Obviously, the the prosthetic itself has probably evolved over that time. Uh, in elementary school, uh, I had very much a fixed knee because uh, they weren't matching up, obviously, um, symmetrically with that of my prosthetic side and my um, normal limb. So that one was one way around it. And in terms of, and this is quite a funny story now on, on, on reflection in elementary school, uh, I was always, I won't say it was every week, but it was almost as much as that. And obviously the school has got to call my mom at work and say, Oh, James has broken his leg again. And, one of her colleagues thought I had brittle bone disease because it was breaking so much. No, no, no. James has just got a prosthetic leg and it's obviously breaking so much because uh, they kind of said to me early doors, I think more this was late, maybe like 
11, 12, do your utmost to break it so we can make it better. So it's, I probably was well, probably like of that mindset, I'm going to do everything like everybody else. And, and, and kind of coming back on what I was talking about earlier when I went back to Belgium in June, I bumped into one of my elementary school teachers and said, you always had a smile on my face. Uh, I always had a smile on my face, sorry. I'm thinking, mm, I wouldn't have thought so, but that's maybe me being more... Uh, uh, negative way of thinking now i thinking i can't you can't always be smiling but if i was that kind of person it's good to know yeah it is, yeah, it is. <laughs> totally. Totally. totally 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 now you said something that was really interesting, was really interesting. Uh, you said that you've been paraplegic all your life but you have run across others who were amputees along the way the way what what, what lesson what have you lesson taken away from those who those had the ability, had the ability to, to walk one day, walk one day and, then and then be a paraplegic, be a paraplegic the next? The next. Uh, well, it's, it's probably, I think, the, host, uh, the guest I had on, on my show today when we were recording, I think you put it into this context. Everybody has got a disability in some form or other. Mm. It's, it's probably, it's there's always, gonna, I think there's probably a better way of looking at it in terms of everybody's going to have a bad day. Everybody's the same. It, it don't matter how the outlook you have on it. It's, it's maybe not dwelling upon the fact that you are, well, I think it probably comes back to this. There's always going to be somebody worse off than you. So it's probably looking at it in that way and not dwelling upon the fact that oh, I've had a bad day today. Somebody down somewhere out there and the, wherever it may be is probably having a worse day than you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could get that, uh, too. I get that and it, it is it, it does seem like a negative in thought process but yeah i yeah oh but in hearing your decision you seem to you seem to be i won't say just fine with it you just seem to just go with the flow in terms of this is me this is my reality if you all were to look at me different, then that means that's your problem, not mine. And I admire that. I think you got to roll with the punches to certain extent. I think it's maybe, I think if I use two examples, maybe when I was younger, I probably struggled with the fact that, I won't say come into terms with it, but obviously the question you were asked, you're very much, I don't know, you don't want to ask, well, I'm not ask, answer difficult questions at times. And and I think the one that perplexes me even to this day would have been, how old would I have been? I'm going to say maybe a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I would go to school and say the spring or summertime, and it would not, I'm going to say boiling hot, but obviously hot to the fact that you would wear shorts. I would go to school in jeans and it, it didn't click to me. I think till I was in my junior year. It's like, and I kind of had a light bulb moment it's thinking, well, I'm boiling hot. It's only affecting me. It's not affecting anybody else. Why are you doing it? And, and, and this is kind of the strange one. I would wear shorts in PE even in those years. He's thinking these are the gonna, these are the same peers. They know me in a sport, in a sporting context. Why am I doing that to myself? And it's thinking, I, I don't know why it was. And it was probably, I don't know if it's maybe that time in life would have been a teenager. You do have that kind of insecurity and things like that. It, I could, that's the only thing I could put on, like, pin up, pin on and say it was possibly that was my circumstances within that. But it, it's a, it's a weird one when it comes back to that. Yeah. 
No, I can see how it's weird. I can weird. see how it's weird. And I can see how that would be an adjustment. Be an adjustment. Yeah, I could totally, totally see that. So when did you when know, did you that, know you that you were an, an Olympic, Olympic caliber, caliber athlete? athlete? Probably about 15, 16 years old. Um, it was. It came about probably on the off chance. It caught, caught me off guard. It was one of my swim coaches, obviously, when I was still in Belgium. They, they said to me, how did I ever thought about disability sport? And I wasn't very happy to hear that questioning, if I'm honest. It's like, okay, why why would I want to do that? And it's probably on critical thinking now. It's probably I'm looking down on it and probably trying to segregate disability sport and say it's to a certain or lesser degree uh, lower than Olympic sport, which is not a good way of thinking. But it's like, okay. But it, I think I had that ideology that... I was able to compete with my able-bodied peers within reason. So it's like, well, that's my excuse. It's like, okay, I'll take on board what you have to say. I don't agree with it. I uh, came home, spoke to my mother about it. She was going to take them back as well, but maybe not to the same degree. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's take it on board. Uh, I spoke to uh, our head coach at, at that time. And he also coached a, as well as the team on the base, he coached another team in the Belgian league. And he knew of a disability coach who coached another, who could say quote unquote disabled program. Uh, and he got me their details. And I think it would have been, I think it was in the summer of the following year. Uh, I think I rang them up or just went down to their practice, uh, did the session. I think they're probably just thinking, oh, I'm going to be run of the run of the mill kind of individuals. My mum was with them with the team management, and she said to me, obviously, uh, when we got back and then back into the car, she said that their eyes lit up. And to kind of cut a long story short for that one, uh, of the top four guys within that pro program, uh, three of us went on to obviously Paralympic level. Uh, one he competed in two Paralympics in swimming. Myself obviously transferring over to do different sports and one who's still competing to this day, who's competed now at free Paralympics. So he's, he's become from going from being number three in the swim program he's number one in terms of accolades, in terms of representing his country, that well, which is high, the highest level in disability sport. Wow. wow. Now that is amazing. That is amazing. Wow. So you said swim. Okay. I, I didn't know I that you actually, know that you actually were, competitive were competitive in swimming. I know you were in rowing. I didn't know it was swimming. Well, I started out in swimming at the age of not into the not to the extents of say rowing in volleyball. Uh, it was very much what would you term it? Probably national, high national level. So say national championships things like that. nothing, nothing international caliber. No. Hmm, okay. All right. So. What made you go into rowing and volleyball? Uh, if we talk about the first transition, uh, I'd originally, obviously, as we touched upon, went to university as a swimmer. Uh, within the space of three months, was dropped from, obviously, the development program. So I thought to myself, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be coming back from Christmas break and being a student. Uh, obviously, in, in Wales, we have a, I would say, a leading a sporting development program for the disabled. Uh, so I had very close to my sporting, di sporting director and he rang me up. Oh, have you thought about doing rowing? I was like, no, let me speak to my mom about it, who I'm very close to. And we'll talk to things like that uh, at length. And, and kind of said, well, 
what do you think? And she said, what was the quote she used? You could be uh, very, very good at it or absolutely useless. And, and, and I kind of love that quote. Luckily for me, it was the, it was the, the latter, and I, um, the former, sorry. And I, I think on reflection and looking upon my career, I was the most competitive at that time. Um, it probably helped. It was the develop. It was in its infancy when it's when I came into it, and it's it's gone way beyond what I thought it ever would be. Now, being it, gosh, it's almost a decade since from when I started. But it was it was it kind of it was very much a steep learning curve early doors because I'm going from what is termed uh, development and say potential at making that kind of level to now being sh- uh, kind of chucked in the deep end and, and very much uh, on a performance level and the performance side of things, you have to deliver now straight away. So it was very much I had to kind of have a sh- massive shift in my mindset. Uh, well, I'm I expected now to deliver in training, kind of the work ethic, wh- whatever it may be, you've got to be honestly give it give it 100 percent is probably an exaggeration because there's no such thing as perfection because you can always improve but it was that was kind of where my career was kind of reinvigorated and where kind of where it took off and it kind of went from strength to strength uh obviously it was where i made my first paralympic my paralympic debut two years later so it was a very high-opening ones in terms of the sport. And kind of the transition from rowing to volleyball was, well, slightly different, but kind of similar in a way. Uh, I was not dropped this time, but they had a classification change. Okay, I knew about it uh, on the back end of the, the, uh, what would it be, the Beijing cycle that they were looking to make these changes. Okay, they weren't going to come about till the, the World Championships of 2009, so I had one more chance. I was like, okay, I'll give it one more shot and let's see if we can't come out with a medal. Okay, it happened not to arise. Uh, we were, so you could say, fortunate or misfortunate to have broken the world record as well, but four other crews did it on the day. So it's like, okay, I, I've the boat's gone the quickest it's ever done. It's broken a world record. But that doesn't matter because that's irrelevant because whoever wins has got the world record. So it's kind of, you, you can take positives, but you also got to take it with a bit of pinch, pinch of salt. So it was, I knew that was coming about. Uh, when I'd come back from that championships, I was going into my final year of my now undergraduate degree now. So I was probably in two minds on reflection now because it's like, okay, I know London is only three years away. Uh, I would like to complete it that, and as we t- I touched upon off air, it's like we, mo- in most cases, athletes. I'm going to say I'll put this out there and say maybe ten percent get the opportunity to compete. It probably uh, compete at home games, probably even lower than that. So I was like, well, I want to do that, but also I wanted to get the highest um, honors I could from my degree. So I was like, well, I can't balance the elite level and do that. So I was like, well, I'm going to focus on university level sport because then I've got still somewhat of a sporting social life and I'm actually around other people and my peers and from a sporting sense and get that enjoyment. I'm not 100% into my studies and, and I'm able to still focus on that as well. And I think that lasted about, I'm going to say two months and obviously the, the, the performance director spoke to me again. What's your thoughts about doing sitting volleyball this time? It's like, okay. 
can I think about it and get back to you? I think, but I think subconsciously, and I, and I think this goes back even to even myself being in elementary school, even and in high school. I've always put my sport first. Okay, I'm still a good student, but I probably could have done a little bit better in my academics than I have done. So, and I'm not saying that from a bad standpoint because if we look at what I come out with, I come out with a. I think it was like three point four grade point average. So I'm uh, well, I'm above average student. So, but my parents would probably wanted me to have done a little bit better. But I was content with being, as you term it, just above average. And I kind of followed that all the way through. So I think yes, I probably had that mentality at university. Is like I did it as well as I could, but the sport wasn't to be blamed. It was more of me having a bad year in my in my second year that probably hindered me doing as well as I could when I finished, if that answers the question. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, it sounds yeah, like, it you, sounds wanna, like you, you were motivated. motivated. Well, motivated, well, to, motivated actually, to actually be, could be at the highest be level, the highest obviously. Level, obviously. Uh, well, sports, I mean, sports yeah. opened yeah. open so many doors for me. It's like, well, what can it do by making that? Okay, in probably in reflection now, you could probably say not much, but it's it does kind of give me a platform to uh, probably get my opinions across because I could say, well, I've done, and I don't do this. Uh, I've done, you could say that would be very much an ego trip if you did do it. Uh, I've done this, this, this in a sporting sense. Oh, you need to listen to me. I, I'm very much on the other way around. I, I, I don't like blowing my own trumpet, but I don't mind when other people do it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, it was a quote. That uh, wrestler turned Hollywood actor, Dwayne Johnson, said, said, if you you taught your greatness, you're good. But if others taught your greatness, you're a legend. You're a legend. And that, that sort of makes a lot of sense. That if others are, if others actually give you the accolades, that means you really are doing something impactful and special. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, so... You transformed into being a fitness coach from your Paralympic days. Uh, what made that transition? Um, I was probably twofold. Uh, my mom wanted me to do it sooner than I did, uh, but I was in the wrong. I'd say probably in the wrong mind frame because obviously coming from that sporting background, it's like, and this is more to probably to probably able-bodied clients I'd have probably been like that. Um, I'd probably say things like, uh, I've got a disability. Um, I was able to do this. Why can't you? It's, and it's kind of a very condescending way of probably treating somebody. I think some some probably people will respond to that because like, okay, this probably kick up the ass at times people need it. But I was like, no, I'm not going to do it now because ugh, it's not the right time for me because – some people might take that the wrong way and obviously you lose clients that way. Uh, other people, they might love it. So it's like, now nah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it for now. We'll see. And I, and I was very much, I wanted to kind of stay in the realms of be it development sport or performance sport. If I could, uh, that obviously didn't come to fruition. I'd go for jobs in sport development, uh, obviously get turned down, not even getting interviews thinking, uh, wouldn't you have thought, in essence, what I've achieved in my sporting career is that job to the T, getting from grassroots to uh, elite level. 
I, I know what I'm doing, but it's very much, and I can understand where they're probably they're coming from in terms of you've got to be able to number crunch, uh, do, you know, the admin side of thing. But my argument to that would be you can learn those skills. You can't learn, uh, be able to, like that mindset, um, the work ethic. You can't learn, you can teach people that, but if it's already in their kind of psyche and the way and the way they act, they're already on a on a bit the word I wanted to use. They're kind of going on the right foot from the off. So it's very frustrating from that essence. And that was for a two would it be about two year period? And then it kind of got to uh, I think it would have been like Christmas of 2014. That's like I've had enough of this. I I, I can't be. Uh, like loose term be a bum all my life and be sitting on the couch and living off the state it's like oh if i can't get a job working for somebody else i might as well go work for myself and that's how it kind of came about i uh looked to do my personal training qualifications okay i probably didn't do my due diligence here and actually do research in terms of what companies were out there i was probably very very lucky that i ended up by what I picked was a very reputable uh, company, sorry. So it could have gone horribly wrong for me by doing that. And it kind of went from there. And uh, probably I did obviously the rapid course, which we do within six weeks in this country and was a qualified trainer. What would it be? By March 2015. And it's kind of gone from there. I worked in obviously the corporate environment from 2015 until late last year and then kind of took it upon myself it's like well oh, i think from health health perspective i it was it was very a draining on myself having to travel or oh, the nearest gym to me is about i'm gonna say 30 miles so it's about a 60 mile round trip and having to do that every day became taxing my body and it kind of it was kind of twofold uh I'd had the tutu done my personal certificate uh, in 2015. Uh, he'd come out with an online platform in terms of teaching you how, how you can obviously engage with, oh, be it writing blogs, um, what's the other platform, you know, vlogging on Facebook and things like YouTube and kind of getting your message out there in that way. And I did that course and it's kind of come from there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go from there and look at it more as a positive and saying, well, being able to be going on the internet, you are thus in principle able to engage more people, influence more people because I don't know what, what, what the stat would be, but it's like, what was it? 2 billion people on the globe. I'll say at least 50% have got the internet. So you do have that access to that amount of people. Whereas in a gym facility, or oh, I'd say the membership I was at was probably about 4,000. So you're thinking, well, that's, God, over two hundred percent more people that you can touch. So it's, I think it was very much okay. I'll jump at this. What have I got? I've got nothing to lose because it comes down to choice. If somebody listens to your podcast, uh, reads your blog, and not dwelling on the fact that if I put this content out there, nobody's going to read it. It's like, well, it once it's out there, uh, if it resonates with somebody, they're going to obviously interact with it. Mm. Wow, and you segue uh, me beautifully. beautifully. All of this All seems, of to, this have seems to have led to your platform that you currently, currently produce now. now. 
So, so what, is what is the Mindset, the mindset Game podcast, podcast and why and is it so important for you, for you to have this, to platform, have this platform put out there? Put out there. Um, to answer your question there, Cole, it's actually the second podcast that I released. The first one was solely on YouTube and thus, and we touched upon this quite early doors when we were t- talking off air of obviously if you're not tech savvy, you don't know that you can actually download, uh, uh, YouTube videos, be it into MP4, MP3. If you don't know that you, you're not going to sit and listen to an episode. I don't know, be it. I don't know. With this day and age, a lot of people's attention spans don't last, we'll say five minutes, let alone 30 minutes to watch a video. So it's, that was the precursor to what the mindset game is now. Uh, it come, it came about, um, I kind of run a competition on my Facebook, one of my Facebook groups to kind of come up with a new, we say title for a podcast. And that was one that came up and, how I would kind of summarize what it, it encapsulates would probably be, obviously the mind is very much important in every facet of life, not, not just sport. Uh, so it's, it's, and with fitness nowadays, it's becoming probably to, it's coming to the forefront because uh, that is generally the root cause of everything, be it nutrition, uh, why people don't go to the gym or do go to the gym. It's a mental thing. It's, it's, this and, and possibly why people do, do stop, uh, a lot of, you know, the, the, after the Christmas period is because that person hasn't delved deep enough as to, and ask themselves why they actually want to do, to engage in something and, and probably delve deep enough. Well, if you delve deep enough and find the root cause of something, you can probably build those building blocks up as opposed to say, uh, you know, it's, um, new year's resolution. People want to lose weight, uh, get healthier and it doesn't last because they haven't thought about maybe, uh, are you doing it for somebody else? Are you doing it for yourself? And the kind of, it's a kind of unknown quantity. Whereas that, that's where you should look at it from. If you're doing it for yourself, there's a reason to obviously continue but if you don't really have a um, ideology, so to speak, as to why you want to do something, and it's probably if I use this sporting, put it in a sporting context, it's not worth doing because if you don't know, if you've got a, if you've got, I want to go say for use, I want to go from A to C, you can't really skip a stage. So it's, it's kind of having those building blocks in place and to kind of say how it came about. It's obviously, as I touched upon there, the mind, uh, set it was very much using that sporting connotation of probably relating to say track with obviously the set of the gun and obviously game very much looking at it from a team perspective so it very much encapsulates probably to a certain extent my life to a certain extent obviously uh, I've been very critical and thinking to a certain extent throughout my life uh, being in individual and team sports and also that background obviously in sports science at university and I had an emphasis ah my what would you say speciality that I focused on in my final year was very much on sports psychology Mm. and And one aspect that you really hear hear about sports sports, especially from athletes athletes, is the mindset mindset that that you know, you hear you about, know, the, you physical hear about prowess, the physical prowess and you hear about the psychological, you about the psychological things, things, but you rarely ever hear really about, the about the mental. 
or I should say, or that I should say, that really hear anything that is mental is when they talk about that athlete's will, but not necessarily about the intelligence or the intellect of an athlete. So, how do you bring that aspect into the platform that you have? And how did you bring that aspect into the forefront when you were an athlete? An active athlete, I should say. That's the difficult question. Um, in terms of, I think you don't see that at the forefront from an athlete perspective because it's obviously ingrained in us. Because we're going, you're going to utilize, be it if we use, I don't know, say basketball as the example. Now you are going to use your strengths and thus, uh, say from an opponent's perspective, you are going to prey on their weaknesses, and you kind of want to. I wouldn't say mask them, but you want to kind of, you, I think in a t- team environment, you probably could ha- hide your weaknesses at times because somebody else can sometimes bail you out. But I think you ask a good question in terms of why don't you think you see it as much? It's probably because it probably comes back to this like kind of, you know, like mental fortitude and things like that. You either have or you haven't. It's, it's, I think it's that competitive element. Uh, everybody does have it, but you do see with sports people, they're more willing to, in that like theater, go obviously uh, far and beyond the, uh, what would you call a normal human being is supposedly capable because they're willing to sacrifice that, that self. Okay. It's, it's, it's a bit, what's the term I'd like to use? Um, contradictory in terms of like a physical phys- physiological sense because the body is not designed to you know like go to those uh depths that you're blacking out and things like that that's your body set it, your body in, in, in most cases you know like with luck la- when you've got lactate in your muscles and you're cramping up that's your body telling you yeah you well use me as the example james you need to stop now because you're putting us at risk of uh uh, well, not dying, but you know, like a fl- fight or flight response. So it's it's very much. I wouldn't generalize and say elite people have that more, over more than general public because you can see with with pet, you say like moms flipping over cars to save their children. It's like, well, that's a, a kind of a similar circumstance. It's not that's not normal because it's like, well, how can a person be able to lift up a car and like chuck it over with with uh, no. Um, second thought and kind of kind of come to your second point with how it kind of instills into the podcast i think it gives an essence that you can and we touch upon this a little bit off air that i think athletes i think in most cases put on a pedestal i probably put it across in the shows be it when i do into athletes we kind of give that personal perspective on how we've overcome be it adversity you name it and we are no different from the general populace in the street it's and and we were discussing this obviously at the beginning uh that it's you could use the example of say if we use say a high school um scenario of somebody that's good at their sport well if somebody's good in in the classroom they're going to more likely succeed in life so it's kind of looking at the avenues and not overemphasizing maybe the athletic prowess because it's like, okay, if we go back thousands of thousands of years, yes, that is very much life or death. Whereas now the, the intellect probably 
probably is more important in terms of yes, it's it's probably you probably need in the, in this day and age probably it's good to have a bit of both because it's you're not you're a more a rounded individual. So that's probably how it's come about. It's just it's to open up probably. You can see the real me, the real me, as opposed to maybe your assumptions of of what you have of say me, uh, that individual on social media or how they come across or um, over a TV platform or whatnot. You've got that assumption of oh, this person is like that in everyday life, and in most cases, that's not the, that's not the case. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, that it, strikes it, me strikes as me. athletes actually, actually being the greatest, the greatest type of. Type of- poker player it's like they you know it's like you all want your opponent to see some of your hand but you don't want to tip all of it and 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 to me it seems that with athlete to athlete the chess match is a whole lot more important than physical domination you know, and that it seems as if if, if you can get that competitive advantage over your opponent, and you can mentally do it, it seems more of a victory to the athlete that if you could do the same thing physically. And I've always found that aspect about aspect really interesting. Really interesting. Well, you could go a lot further than that because if you push somebody's buttons and you see that it works, it's like, well, say I don't know, I'm not as skilled. Uh, athletically as you, but I can push your buttons and get you off your game. I've won because now you now you've come down to my level, and uh, it's a level playing for. Or in some cases, from a mental perspective, if I can take you off your game completely, my job's easy now. I don't have to do anything. Uh, it's your your athletic attributes mean nothing. So it's very much when you do talk about that chess game, mm-hmm. you can you can see who is more strong-willed, uh, has that mental fortitude than others because people will try to push my buttons. It's like, you can do that all day. It doesn't bother me. It's, if, it's, if it's not, I won't say derogative or something like that because that's probably at times pushing it probably too far. But if it's like, I don't know what example you could use, but if you're trying to get under my skin, it's wasting your breath. Sometimes, sometimes it will work, but that's, it's probably because I'm having, I'm probably being harsher on myself at that particular moment so i'm probably my worst critic and people say to me why are you so hard on myself but i think and i touched upon this with you off air it's probably not good to be perfectionist but i think i think athletes are but you are hiding to nothing when you're trying to reach that because the if you were trying to get 100 percent, it's always going to move that bar is always going to move so you can never actually really reach heights of perfectionism so it's it's a very difficult one it's 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 i think at a lead level it's the difference between it's the small margin it's it's the difference between winning and losing it's that one percent upstairs and it's a big one and if you can take that down and learn it at lower levels it's probably the gap is probably even bigger and it's probably a bigger percentage of on your performance so if you can learn trick tr- i won't say i wouldn't say how what would be what would be the word it was very much prominent in the 80s and the 90s in the NBA. People like, not smash mouthing, but, you know, but like trying to get under people's skin so they would get a reaction. Whereas you don't see that as much in this day and age in the current NBA or even most, probably it's more, more common in the NFL and, and obviously American football because it's that 
that one-on-one battle, you're going to see that predominantly throughout the game, whereas maybe less so in basketball sense. Uh, you could probably say because uh, the one and duns, um, people rather in the NBA now, as the example, wanting to play alongside other great athletes as opposed to say in the 90s and the 80s they predominantly wanted to play against each other so they're kind of you could probably say that's a little bit of a generation gap possibly so it's it's a very difficult one in terms of where you'd go with things and I I think I might have sidetracked from your question a little bit (laughs) no that's okay that's fine I've always found found the the intellect of an athlete athlete. really interesting and I don't hear enough of it. So so. to hear what you described, described. that was on perfect. That was on, that was pitch perfect. I loved it. Loved it. it. Man, I I could continue to have this conversation with you. you. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to cut this short. So I will ask these few questions though, before I do go. What is your greatest regret or biggest lesson learned? In your life, in your life. Oof. I'll I'll take that one from a positive perspective. Um, yeah. I would probably say when I finished my career, my greatest regret was obviously being, we'll say, that elusive gold medal because that's what most Olympic Paralympic athletes aspire to. However, it's not the end of the world that I didn't get that because it's not going to define me as a person. It, it could actually change me as an individual. It, I could be a different person today speaking to you because of reaching those heights. So it's. I think it's probably taught me to probably, and what I learned on my degree from being from a sports psychology's perspective is always to reflect on everything in life, uh, have that critical thinking, never accepting be it negative or positive, always wanting to, I don't know, not always analyzing to too much because that you can, that is uh, kind of a mental state all in itself because that is, uh, bad thing as well but you are kind of reviewing reflecting and seeing well if i did this not quite right what can i do better next time to make it right or and this is one i touched on on one of my episodes with one of the psychologists i was with my one of my lecturers he said we are easier as human beings to look at our negatives as opposed to our strengths so if you ask somebody what their strengths are they're going to struggle so i think it's being able to if we are successful, looking upon it and reflecting, well, why was I successful? How can I replicate that to do it over time and time again? So you are, well, it's, I wouldn't say be able to be successful for throughout time because that would be impossible because you, you're hiding to nothing and you, you, you've got a massive target on your back when that happens. But looking at it both ways, if you, you, it's not, it's, it's all well and good. Obviously on the flip side, strengthening your strengths. You also need to probably look to improve one or two of your weaknesses. I don't say improve every weakness because then your strengths become worse as well. So it's, it's trying to probably, what would be the word? Analyze, reflect and review and trying to make the situation better for yourself. Okay. That's that's strong. That's that's strong. Uh, Flipping the coin. Flipping the coin. What has been your greatest accomplishment in life? Um, I would say, I would say, well, I say if we go back to obviously where I was brought up, I say that not everybody has that opportunity to be 
at such a young age, immersed into, say, different cultures, different languages, have that opportunity to be able to engage with those people and whatnot. And I think it's it did open my eyes to, like, say, the wider world. I'm very much, I won't say as a result of that, very much uh, when I go away to a certain country, I want to learn about their history, their culture, and, and if I kind of use this example, um, I'm not going to generalise and say it's the problem in the UK, but a lot of people, Brits that go abroad, we'll say we'll say Spain is the example because they do like to go there. They'll go there for the sun, but they want the home com- our home comforts with them. So you're thinking, well, you, you just want the sun, but you don't want anything else that that country brings. It's like, well, what's the point? Because it's like you, you, you could be, well... I'll say maybe I'll be probably harsh the, the climate now. Maybe say five months of the five five days of the year. Sorry, we'll have sun. Well, you don't need to leave this country to do that if you want your home comforts. It's it's because you you want the sun, but you don't want everything to go with it. So it's I'm very much opposite. I do not. Okay, the sun's a bonus, but you're going there to, to because it's uh, you not say you want to learn something, but it's gonna add I'll, add value to say your knowledge your intellect you're going to thus be able to how would i put it not excel but you would gain something from going from to, to that new country so if you get what i mean hmm. yeah well that's good that's good well this is well, the time of the show where i allow the guests to either get a parting shot off shut off or or do like you have done, continue to dispense dispense wisdom, (laughs) whatever is on your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. spirit. Right now, now, the floor floor is yours. yours. I think like words of wisdom, I say it's be very much adaptable to your situation because like I touched upon earlier on and the guests I had on, it's very much everybody has a disability, but it's been adaptable to your situation be it high school level college career it's looking upon yourself what can i do to better myself to uh, progress in life as opposed to maybe sometimes we think of it or my way of thinking is the right way and not listening to somebody else so it's maybe having that outlook at taking on board what somebody says okay you may not agree with it but taking it on board on why and and it may you, you may it may add value to you and it may not sway your way of thinking but may maybe make you adapt it so to speak and 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 thus you've got a better outlook on life and you're not set in any way putting things in a box you've got that open-mindedness uh, and and thus i think it's probably in the long run is probably better for society in the future mm, what a great note what to great end note on ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen paralympic paralympic fitness trainer, fitness and, coach, trainer and coach and podcast, and host, podcast host of mindset, of mindset podcast, podcast, podcast james, james roberts roberts james thank james, you so much thank you so much that was my pleasure thanks for having me on call We can allow a great many things cripple us. A great many things stop us. A great many things hold us up and hold us back. But when you talk to someone who has overcome physical, I guess you could say impediments, it almost makes you who is quote 
able-bodied, close quote, to say, wow, what's my excuse? Hmm. The Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I think about James and how he doesn't allow being a paraplegic to stop him from achieving the greatest defeats on the planet. And I'm thankful for his reminder and I'm thankful for his conversation. I also am thankful for his determination and spirit. It is something that all of us, all what now seven billion of us can learn to hear, to witness and to do. Many thanks to James. You can check his podcast out, Mindset Game Podcast, where he talks in more depth, where he talks more in depth about being a paraplegic and how that doesn't stop him from achieving his goals. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O. Every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific.